should just wait. Instead of trying in your own strength, you should just wait. Instead of calculating what will happen if you go wrong, you should just wait. My steps are ordered by the Lord. Yeah, I should just wait. David, wait on the Lord. Shall renew their strength. They shall mount up upon wings like an eagle. Soar. They shall walk and not get weary. They shall run.
Well, good morning, everyone. It is a joy to be able to gather together and hear from God's word and be refreshed, Lord willing, uh, during this time. My name's Jay. If you're new here, I am the director of worship for City Church, and we're so glad that you've joined us. And if you're joining us online, we are uh, really glad that you have joined us as well. We begin all of our services uh, hearing from God's word. We do that every single week, and it can feel, I think, sometimes like just kind of in one ear and out the other. We do that every time, but I would encourage you, as you listen to these words, to, to open your hearts up, to receive God's word, to pray for the Holy Spirit, to open your eyes to the beauty of the gospel so that you would be refreshed in the gospel this morning for those of us who are especially weary and tired and exhausted, maybe frustrated, maybe struggling in some way, that you would receive the gospel again today. God's truth, that he loves you, that he died for you, and that he's got you. Would you stand with us as we hear God's word, as we begin our service? I'm going to read a couple different passages, uh, one from the book of John and the other a psalm, a portion of a psalm. Listen to these passages this morning. This is John 14, the first six verses. It says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. This is Christ speaking. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And this is Psalm 28, verses 6 and 7. Blessed be the Lord, for he has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts and I am helped. My heart exults and with my song I give thanks to him. Let's pray together. Oh God, our Father, thank you for Christ who has prepared a place for us, your children. We believe that Christ is the way the truth, and the life. So would you help us more deeply understand that truth this morning? Would your Holy Spirit open our eyes and hearts to respond in worship for what Christ has done for us? God, you have heard our pleas for mercy. So through the singing of these songs together, may we give thanks to you, our strength and our shield. Would you help us today? We pray in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Let's sing together. How great the chasm then be between I could not find. 
turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night. And through the darkness, your loving kindness tore through the shadow of my soul. The work is finished, the end is written. Jesus Christ, my living Who could imagine so great a mercy? What heart could fathom such boundless grace?
Good morning. Welcome to City Church. My name is Chipper. I'm one of the pastors here. We are a church aspiring to be an authentic community walking with God in our city, and you are in luck. You have made it to one of the more uh, foundational announcements we will probably give in the life of our church, and we'll get to that in about five minutes. So get on the edge of your seats, and then we'll give it, and then we'll pray, and it's going to be 
just a really rocking time. All right, number one, we would love to get to know you. So please consider filling out um, a connection card. We put those in your bulletin when you walk in the door. So if you got a bulletin, you have a connection card. Um, I'm, this is not a connection card. Take the connection card that's in your bulletin. In particular, please consider putting a prayer request on there. And if you stick those cards in the seat pockets in front of you, we will pray for you. Um, when we gather them after the service, we pray for you during our staff meeting. Also, you can drop those cards in the brown box in the back of the sanctuary. Also, there's a virtual version of that card you can fill out, citychurchgmv.com connection. We worship a generous God. Part of our responsive worship as the people of God is giving generously. Uh, you can give online, citychurchgmv.com give, or again, you have that brown box, and there's envelopes and pens, and that's always there in the back of the sanctuary. Few key announcements. Number one, uh, we are having a membership class today after the second service. This is for people who want to learn a whole lot more about the life of our church, who we are, why we're in downtown, what our story is. Um, it's the kind of thing that you would typically RSVP for, but if you're just hearing about this and you're thinking, I would love to go to that, don't rule yourself out. Chat with me after the service. It's from 1 to 5, so it is a difficult kind of thing to add if you weren't planning on doing it, but you never know. 1 to 5, and we had to change the location. Uh, it's going to be in the community room behind the lobby. So 1 to 5 today, we'll have not a full lunch, but we will have some refreshments there for you. be a great way, again, to learn this is non-obligatory. Uh, so you can go to the class and decide, you know what, I don't know if membership is right for me, but basically what membership is, you don't get a special card and a, and a vest and a, and, a, and a badge or whatever. It's just saying, hey, this is a place where I want to invest. I want to call this home, and I want you to invest in me, and I want to invest in you, and I want to be part of this family. So come uh, participate in that if you'd like to. That's one, one to five after the second service. Um, the other thing I want to mention is that we bumped up our uh, homeless outreach. Uh, so typically we would um, do our homeless outreach on the third Sunday of the month, but we bumped it up to next Sunday. So if you would like to be a part of the team that goes out and uh, visits and, and builds relationships with people in this uh, city that don't have homes, that would be next Sunday. So put that on your calendar. Um, also next Sunday, we are having a baptism celebration. So we are having some people in life of a church who will be baptized and that will be after the second service at somebody's home, um, just a, a mile, a couple miles from here. And we would love to have you. The, everybody is invited. Um, come learn more about what baptism is. And if you're hearing this and you're thinking, I would like to be baptized, or I want to find more about, out about it, it's, again, chat with us. Put something on your connection card, and we will be in touch with you um, quickly uh, because the, the time is coming uh, for that baptism celebration. That's next Sunday. Uh, after the second service, we'll give you more directions. We'll make sure you know where you're going, uh, and we would love to have you be a part of that. Okay, here's the announcement, guys. And this is kind of a, a terribly kept secret, honestly, at this point. But, um, and I'll, I have to kind of, this is kind of the, the pre-announcement to an even bigger announcement, I guess. I don't know. And it, that'll come up later. But as of this week, we have this entire building that we're in under contract to buy it. So, Yes. That's the announcement. So that would be the suite that you're in right now, um, all of downstairs, and then everything uh, behind us as well, which um, we'll get into as far as how that will work, and et cetera, et cetera, down the road. And it will happen in many phases. And, but bottom line here is we are looking to buy our building. Right now we have, so if you can think about it, we lease about 6,500 square feet right now between upstairs and downstairs. Buying the building uh, would take us up to about 23,000 square feet, so like triple 
or so the space that we have, and we will be sharing a lot about our, our desire to have that space, what we want to do with it. It would be very much a tool. Having a space is not an end in of itself. It's, it's a resource that we would use to bless our community. So it's under contract. There's still hoops that we need to jump through. We would be closing uh, in the spring. Um, and so there's still inspections, and so there, there is obviously, you know, as you know, if you've ever done something like this, there's always a possibility that things wouldn't work out. Uh, but as of now, it's under contract, uh, and we do sense that the Lord has uh, called us to step up and take over this building for a number of reasons. And it's something we've been praying about as leaders and elders for the last uh, couple of years. It's not something we decided uh, this week when we woke up. So. In order to navigate the next few months and beyond, we have raised up a team of people from our church that is going to serve in various capacities to help kind of put this together, to put our um, kind of our campaign together, and to educate you as far as what we're doing and why we're doing it. Again, there's a lot more that we're going to say about this, but the main thing we want to do today is to call that team of people up here so you can see their faces and so that some of our elders can pray over them, because this is a huge undertaking large responsibilities um, for all of these folks. Let me read their names and what they're doing. They're going to come up here. A couple of our elders are going to come up here, and we're going to do some prayer. Okay, so that's the situation. So, so Jennifer Parker will be managing our communications team. Yes, we can clap. Uh, James DeVirgilio will be in charge of advanced commitments. Uh, Paige Santiago, Josh Covey will be leading our prayer team. <laughs> Rachel Devegar will be in charge of special events. I'm not sure if we're all here this morning, but Rachel Devegar will be leading our special events team. <laughs> our elder representative will be George Lebo. <laughs> our stewardship educator will be Dorian Rose. Uh, lead, <laughs> lead pastor will be myself, Lord willing. Um, I hope. Yes. Um, and then our chair is the indefatigable, indefatigable Ryan Harding. And uh, there's still a lot of things that are in process. We're still in the early stages of uh, putting our whole sort of campaign together to buy the building and eventually to renovate it. And this will be a multi-year kind of thing. Uh, but what we want to do right now is pray for these folks who have stepped up to the plate uh, to help us uh, with this new venture. So um, a couple of elders have agreed to pray. If you would come up and pray for us, and the prayer team has already been at work. Uh, Josh and Paige gave these elders some prayer points, um, and they are going to work their way through those. So this is Mark Szymanski and then Matt Barr who are going to pray, and then I'll close us in just a couple of minutes. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I do uh, just, uh, I'm just enjoying this moment as I look at my brothers and sisters who are uh, stepping up to uh, serve the body in such a sacrificial and uh, loving way. And um, Lord, I just pray for unity uh, among our church members. Uh, Lord, I pray you would lift our eyes to see not only uh, 
our immediate situation, uh, but the generations that come after us and um, the legacy and the glory that will be brought to your gospel uh, in this building. And Lord, I just pray um, you would give us uh, just uh, faithful persistence and patience uh, as we overcome obstacles that are inevitable in this process, uh, that we, um, yeah, we not grow impatient uh, if things don't go as we think they should, uh, but we would trust in your plan and um, and keep our eyes focused on you. Yeah, God, I agree, and I just want to praise you that you're here, you're with us, you're a God that desires to be with your people, and through you, Jesus, you provided a, a means for us to be with you, and God, I pray that this building um, would be an opportunity for more people to engage with that reality, that through you, Jesus, we, we like can know you, God, and be with you. Um, I pray for wisdom in this process, that we would honor you all the way through, that we, we are trying our best with what we have been given within our limits to honor you, and, um, but it's, uh, we, we really don't fully know what we're doing. Um, so I pray that you would guide us, that you would lead us in the midst of all of those things. Yeah, I pray for this team, Lord. Would you just encourage them? And God, would this be, as they step out in faith, uh, would you use this to build their faith even more um, in what you can do? Uh, would it be a joy to see like, wow, look at what we stepped out in faith and got to be a part of. And I pray that for the rest of the body too, that this wasn't wouldn't just be an outsourced, okay, this team has got it, but that we as a church would, would stand and step out in faith together. Um, and would this be an act that, that builds our faith? Uh, Lord, we, we want to entrust you with every step in the process. Um, so th would this be for your glory in each and every one of us? And thank you for this uh, opportunity to, to step in faith together. We love you, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray because we can't do anything without you moving forward. Um, so we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Can you appreciate this team again one more time? Yes. We will be saying a lot more about this. We're going to have a, a launch of sorts down the road, and you will be very in the know as far as what we're doing and how things are going to play out, um, at least Lord willing. But we wanted to go ahead and pull this team up here because they're doing a ton of work, and they need your prayer. And I hope that you will continue to pray for them regularly, make this part of your week. Our scripture passage this morning is actually from the book of Joshua, chapter 24, verses 14 through 28. So Joshua chapter 24, verses 14 through 28. If you have a Bible, we would encourage you to pull that out and follow along with us. There's also blue Bibles that are in the baskets in front of you. You are welcome to pick one of those up and read with us. If you do pick up one of those blue Bibles, you'll be turning to page 221. 221 on the blue Bibles. And again, you have the passage up here on the screen. Joshua 24. Verses 14 through 28. Let me read this passage for us and we'll pray together. Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day 
whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods, for it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved in us, us in all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. But Joshua said to the people, You are not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. He said, Then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, The Lord our God we will serve, and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. He took a large stone and set it up there under the terebinth that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness against us, for it has heard the words of the Lord that he spoke to us. Therefore it shall be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. So Joshua sent the people away, every man to his inheritance. Let's pray together. Father, we need your assistance. I pray that you would help us see uh, very clearly morning this morning, among other things, that this, this building that we're trying to pursue here is, is, is not an end in and of itself, but it's a resource for a far greater mission and vision. And I pray that that would be very clear this morning as we tackle this passage. And would you, would you use this to, to nourish our faith, to convict us where necessary, and to encourage us in Christ Jesus? We pray for a supernatural work of the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. I said a couple of moments ago, this building we're pursuing here is not an end. It's a tool. It's a resource that we would not pursue unless we felt like it fell in line with our mission and vision. The building itself is not the mission. The building itself is not the vision. When we planted City Church, we did so in partnership with three other churches, two of which are in Gainesville, Christ Community Church and Creekside Community Church. And one of the things we would do with these partner churches is we would do, this is back in 2012, we would do these info meetings where with the uh, blessing of the pastors of these churches, if you would believe it, we would actually go to these churches and, and say, hey, this is what we're doing, who wants, who wants in? Who wants to join us? And then people would partner with us. And then sometimes these pastors, of course, would say, you know what, I think these people would be really good, and then I would always be a little suspicious. I'm like, really? You seem really energized to send the Johnsons over to us now, don't, don't you? So we would have these, we would have these info meetings, and we, you know, we would have our, our pub sub kind of sandwich rings and, and our, our bags of chips and everything like that. We would have these meetings. Imagine at, if at one of these meetings I said to everybody, come join us in, in acquiring a building in downtown. 
Would that be inspiring? Would that be encouraging? No. We would have zero people on our team. What we did is we cast a mission and a vision for our church in downtown. We said that the mission was to be and make disciples of Jesus Christ, and the vision was that hopefully God would take our missional faithfulness and help us become an authentic community that's walking with God in our city with a unique focus within the downtown community. That's what we talked about. So this building that we are pursuing by God's grace is a tool that we intend to serve the Lord here in downtown, hopefully for years and years to come. It's a tool that we intend to use to serve the Lord in downtown for years to come. In fact, there's a, there's a rather strong chance, as we'll kind of unveil in the coming weeks and months, that this would be our forever home once we get it built out, a ministry center that, that endures until God tells us otherwise. And accordingly, this is a wonderful opportunity to reassess as a church the purpose of, quote, serving the Lord and what that looks like, especially since it's, it's not so easy to do. This is a great opportunity to think to ourselves, what in the world are we even doing out here? What are we doing in downtown? Especially because it's not that easy to do it. In our cultural moment, you know, fervently serving the Lord is probably not going to win you a Hollywood star when you pass away. Plus, the last two years' worth of, of missional faithfulness have been exhausting, to say the least. And many of us, despite good intentions, regularly feel like we're failing when it comes to serving the Lord. So for a number of reasons that brings us this morning, for a whole lot of reasons that brings us this morning to Joshua chapter 24, if you have a bulletin, you'll see very clearly there that we had planned to continue our 2 Corinthians series this morning, but we're doing Joshua 24 instead, and as we used to say, in middle school, so sue me. I don't know if we say that anymore, that that's what we said back then. And then, Lord willing, we will continue our Second Corinthians series next week. Two reflections this morning as we make this unexpected yet timely journey into Joshua chapter 24. Number one, the Lord's service is restful service. And then number two, the Lord's service is repenting and believing. Some of these things we've heard before, and we're just coming back to them. We're, we're kind of summarizing them afresh for our good, for the good of our city, and for the glory of God. Number one, the Lord's service is restful service. And number two, the Lord's service is repenting and believing. Let's jump right into that first reflection. The Lord's service is restful service. Joshua chapter 24 is a speech that Joshua, the namesake of this book, gave to the Israelites Joshua being the guy who actually led the Israelites into the promised land, to Canaan. Moses had led the Israelites, the people of God, out of slavery in Egypt, but God prevented Moses from entering the promised land with the Israelites after Moses very famously failed to trust in the Lord at a critical moment when the Israelites were grumbling against God. So God put the leadership baton in Joshua's hand so the Israelites could complete their journey. In the first two verses of chapter 24, we see that Joshua gathered all the people of Israel and their leaders to the city of Shechem, where he then gave them 
a prophetic word from the Lord that amounted to this abbreviated account of Israelite history with a major take-home point. And that account is contained in verses 2 through 13. And then the take-home point was this. God was reminding the Israelites of the miraculous ways he had been faithful to his people. I brought your idolatrous ancestors out of Mesopotamia into Canaan. I delivered you out of Egypt. I delivered enemy armies and cities into your hands, including the very famous events at Jericho they're alluded to in verse 11. And then finally, God said to the Israelites through Joshua, I brought you out of the wilderness into the promised land. And in so doing, you see this in verse 12, I gave you a land on which you had not labored, in cities that you had not built, and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. And in verse 7, God points out that your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. And he means that quite literally for, for some of the people who were gathered at Shechem were alive when God delivered the Israelites from Egypt. So the message is very clear. I'm faithful, and you have seen it. And the people who have seen some of this have told you about it. Or more specifically, I'm a faithful God who keeps his promises. A faithful God who keeps his promises. When, when God led Abraham into Canaan, God made a covenantal promise to Abraham. You can read about it in Genesis chapter 12. God told Abraham, then called Abram, that he would make his family into a great nation. And he promised that the land of, of Canaan would ultimately be their own possession. And now, generations later here in Joshua chapter 24, the Israelites are indeed gathered together in Canaan, the promised land. For the faithful Almighty God has kept all of his promises. All of them. He's exceedingly, he's preeminently faithful. And if there's, if there's any doubt in your mind that this is a point that, that God is trying to drive home through Joshua to these Israelites, note that God had Joshua gathered the Israelites specifically into the city of Shechem to hear this speech. Why is this significant? Well, Guess where Abraham initially landed and built an altar when he came into Canaan? Shechem. So here they are again, very intentionally, according to the hand of God. Right where he wants them to drive home the the point that he's a a faithful covenant-keeping God. So in light of God's promise-keeping faithfulness, Joshua continued his speech with a commandment In verse 14, that the Israelites should fear the Lord and faithfully serve him. So you have God keeping his promises, and then you have this exhortation from Joshua that they should fear the Lord and faithfully serve him. And then a choice. There's a fork in the road, as Joshua puts it in verse 15. If it seems evil, or probably best translated undesirable, in your eyes to serve the Lord, given all that we've just been talking about. Choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, 
we, here's what we're going to do. We're going to serve the Lord now. In other words, if after hearing this speech and remembering God's faithfulness that many of you saw with your own eyes, if you're reminded of, of this and you still want to take a pass on serving the Lord, then go ahead and decide today which idols you're going to worship instead. Don't play any games. Go ahead and make the call. Be all in or be all out. Nominalism isn't an option. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. That's what we're going to do over here. We are going to devote ourselves to the Lord in humility and repentance and worship him in obedience. And why are we going to do this? Because God is a faithful God who keeps his promises. And speaking of promises, when we devote ourselves to the Lord, God has promised us that in him we will find true spiritual rest. In him we will find true spiritual rest. For the Israelites, this, uh, this rest amounted to living securely in the promised land, safe from their enemies, well supplied with food and shelter, enjoying a right relationship with God and worshiping him. And for us, City Church, this opportunity to find rest in the Lord still stands. But it involves this, this far greater land that involves a far greater deliverance. It's an eternal rest with God that begins now but culminates in the new heaven and the new earth where sin and death, our greatest enemies, will be no more. Where all of our physical needs are permanently supplied. Where we worship God together in the very presence of God. And how do we get to that land? We get there through Jesus the greater Joshua, who gave up his own life to deliver us from something that was far worse than Egyptian slavery. He gave his life to, to save us from slavery to our own sin. Sin that, that plagued the Israelites despite their attempts to keep the law. Sin that plagues all of us today, even the most committed humanitarians and philanthropists. And those who put their hope in Jesus Christ. Those who turn from their idolatry and surrender to God's kingdom and will for our lives. Those people of God will not fail to reach the ultimate promised land. God will lead them home. So church, we, we devote ourselves to the Lord. Despite the difficulty of the present hour. Because Jesus alone can deliver us from our sin. And Jesus will bring us into a land of perfect rest that is glorious beyond our comprehension. And because of that future rest, we can start resting in God now and being content in all circumstances however difficult they might be. 
As Jesus puts this very famously in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest is in right now. I mean, it'll get even better, but you get the rest now also. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So why serve the Lord? What's the purpose of, of, of engaging in this, this enterprise that we talk about and is expressed very specifically here in Joshua 24 as, as serving the Lord? Why, why do all of this? We actually we serve the Lord in order to rest. Isn't that something? We serve the Lord in order to rest. And so in, in buying this building, it's a tool that we're actually using by the grace of God to bring rest to an exhausted world. There's been a lot of talk recently about polarization and everybody's polarized and so many articles and, and books now and podcasts trying to, to diagnose the whys. Why are we so polarized? And I'm sure it's multifaceted, but I think one of the under-discussed factors right now is just exhaustion. People are tired. Things that they've, they've tried to put their, their hope in have, have not delivered. They're let down. And what happens when things start to, to disappoint? Very often, you just keep digging in. Say, well, maybe if I just put my mind to it a little bit more. Maybe if I just... Mm, Something will happen. And it's not happening. And it just gets worse. And it gets worse. And so one of the things that we are doing in trying to buy this building is to bring spiritual and eternal rest to exhausted people. Who at their wits in. I feel like that's important because Christianity... I'm not on Twitter, but I guess this would be my, my tweet for the day. Christianity is not primarily about giving folks some rules. It's about giving them rest in Jesus. And by the way, can anything else really provide this rest? Can, can replacement gods, which are... You know, the essence of idolatry, it's, it's, it's satisfying ourselves in something other than God. Can they really quiet our troubled souls? You know, is, is one more look at CNN or Fox News really going to give us what we're looking for? Joshua presented the Israelites with the choice, either devote yourselves to the Lord, the Lord that led you to, to this rest, before us here in the promised land, or devote yourselves to false gods that your ancestors and enemies served. Let's not pretend like this was a, a choice between equally viable options. You know, take some time to read through the biblical narrative that leads up to Joshua 24 as the Israelites journey toward the promised land. Read about it. Whenever the Israelites worshipped false gods, discontentment and, and strife and jealousy and even death ensued. These, these false gods never delivered. 
And isn't that our own experience when we prop up false gods for ourselves to find rest and relief? If you worship physical fitness, you'll become a slave to your physical appearance and you'll never look quite good enough. If you worship entertainment, you'll always be clamoring for the next best opportunity and you'll be afraid you're missing out on something. Worship your social life and you'll be enslaved by the fear of what other people think of you. Worship busyness and a full schedule and you'll always be anxious about inefficiencies and your joy will be subject to your daily productivity. Worship your vocation, you'll always be jealous of the people who outperform you and all of this will completely exhaust you or wear you out. But we have rest. We have the rest that Jesus gives to weary souls. So let's, let's press into it ourselves and then let's bring it to downtown Gainesville. And let's, as we were talking about last week, let's, let's bring it to the nations. Now, what are the specific rhythms of this serving the Lord? ultimately gives us rest. That brings us to our second reflection here. The Lord's service is repenting and believing. So it turns out that serving the Lord is actually an enterprise bathed in rest. And secondly, what does it look like? The Lord's service is repenting and believing. After, and you can kind of imagine how this would go, right? After Joshua presented this choice, and he presented it kind of like, would you rather have, you know, filet mignon, or would you rather have Ritz crackers? That's how he frames it. I mean, my goodness. So after he presented this choice to the Israelites concerning whom they might serve, response from the Israelites was decidedly pro-God. And you can see that in verses 16 through 18. Then the people answered, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods, for it is the Lord our God, who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery, and who did those great signs in our sight, and preserved us in all the way that we went, and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites, who lived in the land. Therefore, we will serve the Lord, for he is our God. We're going to do it, Joshua. We are in. Very compelling case that you made. Love the speech. Yes. But then look at verse 19, in which Joshua completely dumps on their parade. It's, it's, I, it's kind of funny to me, the way that this goes after this. So this is verse 19. We're going to do it. And then verse 19. You are not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. And then verse 21. No, seriously, Joshua, we are going to serve the Lord. That's what we're going to do. And then Joshua's response to the people once more in verses 22 to 28, which is basically okay then. I'm going to make a formal record of your intentions to serve the Lord that it might be a witness against you when you do the things that you said you're not going to do. So go ahead and devote yourselves to the Lord and cast away any lingering foreign gods that are among you and, and we'll see what's what. Why the negativity from Joshua? It's like he's losing his mind. He's like, hey guys, serve the Lord. And they say, okay, we'll do it. And he says, you can't. Not very good speech. Here's a reason for this, this rain cloud. Joshua had seen God's faithfulness, yes, very clearly. 
but he was also keenly aware of the Israelites' faithlessness because he'd seen some of that for himself as well. It wasn't just their ancestors who had worshipped idols. New generations of Israelites had continued the tradition after God delivered the Israelites from Egypt. It's one of the fascinating things about their Egyptian slavery is that, yes, they were enslaved, but they were also worshipping idols. So after God delivered the Israelites from Egypt, when they came to Mount Sinai, Moses went away to hear from the Lord, and the Israelites got tired of waiting and made a golden calf to worship in God's place. But that's not all. Even after the Israelites made it into the promised land under Joshua and conquered their foes, they apparently still had some foreign gods and idols among them. You would think by this time, surely the idols had been purged, and that is not what we see here in Joshua chapter 24. If you look at verse 23, Joshua told the Israelites, okay, if you're serious about serving the Lord, then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. Why on earth do they still have the foreign gods? They've seen God work in these really powerful ways, and they are still dabbling with idol worship and perhaps had physical idols in their midst. And here's why they still wrestled with idolatry, despite everything that they had been seeing. Human beings are masters at manufacturing compelling idols that we cannot resist. As the theologian John Calvin put it several hundred years ago in his institutes, he said, man's nature is a perpetual factory of idols. So left to our own devices, our inclination is to worship substitutes for God that strike our fancy. And that's why serving the Lord can sound really good, but just be so darn difficult in practice. So it's a huge mistake to associate serving the Lord or, or devotion to the Lord with with grittiness and stick That's our natural inclination, but it just doesn't work. If you're, if you're a pragmatist, you can tell that this does not work. And this is why Joshua was so down on Israel's chances of serving the Lord, even though they said they were going to worship. Joshua knew the Israelites weren't going to stay faithful to the Lord simply on the basis of good intentions. Verse, verse 19, you, you are not able to serve the Lord, for he's a holy God. He's a jealous God. He's too holy. You're, you're just not going to be able to keep his standards. And bad news, God won't just look the other way when you worship false gods because the Almighty God cannot and will not stand for divided allegiances. Joshua knew that Israelites needed a little help if they were going to faithfully serve the Lord. He knew that they were going to need divine intervention. German biblical scholar uh, Johann Michaelis puts it like this. He says, Israel could not serve the Lord merely by its own resolution, but only with the assistance of divine grace, with solid and serious conversion from all idols, and with true repentance in faith. Grace interacting with repentance 
and faith. Grace interacting with repentance and belief. That's what the Israelites need. But you don't really see this, this grace-based, repentant attitude from the Israelites in verses 16 through 28. You see stick you see resolve, you see raw determination. Yes, we will serve the Lord. And so Joshua was very nervous because he knew that raw determination would not suffice. He had plenty of evidence. And by the way, history played out in such a way that it confirmed all of Joshua's fears. The Israelites who had gathered at Shechem were faithful to the Lord for a season. But after the death of Joshua, their determination burnt out, and they started worshiping false gods once more. And things got so bad that the book of Judges, chapter 2, puts it like this after recounting Joshua's death. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and they served the Baals. That is, false gods, idols. So what do we make of all of this, right? I mean, what, what do we do with this? On one hand, we've seen the supreme goodness and restfulness of serving the Lord and devoting ourselves to him and rooting out idols. But on the other hand, we've seen how hard it is to actually do this. I mean, it, it seems like a completely impossible situation because we know that reading about the Israelites is like looking in a mirror. We're, we're just the same here. So this narrative tension develops in Joshua that ultimately leads us once again to Jesus. This, this tension that is totally unsolvable unless there's a Messiah. And here's the amazing thing about this Messiah, Jesus. Yes, Jesus is a greater Joshua who gave his life to save us from the failures of our sheer determination and rebelliousness, that we might be reconciled with God and live forever with God in the ultimate promised land. Yes, all of that is true, but during his earthly ministry, Jesus also showed us exactly how to live now in light of this serve the Lord, but you can't situation that we find ourselves in. In Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, we find one of the best summaries of Jesus' teaching ministry. Jesus, this is, this is Jesus' teaching ministry in the early days. Verse 14, now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent believe in the gospel. Yes, that's the way into the kingdom of God, repentance and belief. But Jesus made it very clear during his ministry that repentance and belief aren't just the keys to getting into God's kingdom. They're also the keys to enjoying him and serving him once you're in. Jesus was, was preaching repentance and belief as a, as a lifestyle. Not, not a one-time event. So the bottom line is this. If, if you want to serve the Lord in, in doing so, enjoy Him. Sign yourself up for regular rhythms of repentance and belief. 
for, for a daily turning away from building our own kingdoms and calling the shots and turning to the one who reigns over the only kingdom that truly matters. In his book, Union with Christ, Rankin Wilburn compares the Christian journey to sailing a boat. Imagine sitting in a boat just in the middle of a, an enormous lake, you know, Lake, lake Michigan, possibly. And you're trying to get to the other side, and there's this, this strong, consistent wind that's, that's blowing across the water. If you, if you try to, to power across the lake on your own strength, you'd never make it. I mean, if you, if you use your hands to paddle, eventually you would pass out from exhaustion. You had a little engine, a little gas, eventually you'd run out of gas. And therein lies the problem with trying to, to live faithfully as a child of God on our own power with sheer determination. We just don't have the, the zip. We can't just sit there either in the middle of the lake. If, if you treat your boat like a, like a raft, you won't get anywhere. You'll just kind of get blown around by the wind, by the current. And therein lies the problem of trying to journey with the Lord merely by waiting around for the right experiences and, and the right feelings. You'll just kind of be in the middle of the lake, not really going anywhere. And our relationship with God will always be subject to how we feel on a given day. So what do we do if we really do want to make it somewhere? As Rankin Wilburn would put it, we raise a sail and we catch the wind. We raise a sail, and we catch the wind. By the power of the Spirit, God has given us the, the juice that we need to journey across the lake. God's people are, are united with Christ. We're hidden in him, and he's also in us. And his very presence with us and in us is like this empowering wind that helps us live faithfully as his people. But in a sense, we have to catch it. There's still action on our part. Dallas Willard, who's a well-known Christian philosopher and author who's since passed away, he used to summarize things like this. God's grace isn't opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. There's a huge difference between those two things. So what is this raising of the sail? That's what Jesus was talking about. It's a, it's a daily rhythm of repenting and believing. It's regularly going before the Lord and asking him to expose our sin, to expose our failures, to trust in him, and to live like citizens of his kingdom. And then it's falling on our knees in humble confession and repentance grieving our sin and crying out to God for mercy. And then it's believing God's promises, that his grace is sufficient for us, for his power is made perfect in weakness. That his ways are always the best ways, even when it doesn't feel that way, even when we're in the dry seasons, that we are children of God and therefore co-heirs with Christ. Repenting and believing, repenting and believing, 
all the time. Franklin Wilburn compares it to the two pedals of a bicycle as you're always riding. Bill Bright, who is the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, compared this to breathing. You breathe out or confess the various fallacies that you've embraced, and then you, you breathe in the promises of God. You speak them to yourself. You read them in God's word. Other people speak them to you. This is the posture that we embrace if we indeed desire to follow Joshua's lead and serve the Lord. This is the posture. And here's the interesting thing that you will notice if you read about the Israelites. They were faithful to the Lord. They served the Lord to the degree that they were a repentant people. They served the Lord faithfully to the degree that they were repentant people. Spiritual malaise and idolatry set in that moved them time and time again farther from the Lord, but to the degree that they repented individually and corporately, they faithfully served the Lord. I think another reason for exhaustion, even for those who profess Christ, is actually this absence of repentance and belief. Instead of owning stuff, we just dig in and, and we clinch even harder. So it turns out that part of the way we rest in Jesus is through genuine individual and corporate repentance. It's by going to Jesus and letting go of things. And then breathing in the promises of God. So part of what we're trying to do here as a church in downtown Gainesville is corporately rest in Jesus through repentance. And we're also actually, and this is really kind of bizarre given our moment, we're also telling people, we're inviting them to rest in Jesus in part through repentance and say, you know what would change your life is letting go of the things that you're clenching to very tightly and then believing in the promises of God. Not just to get in the door and be part of God's family, but as a lifestyle. And not only do we exhort one another in this setting, I want, I was thinking about it this week, we want to be here hopefully for generations, you know, not just the next five years, but 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. And part of that will mean forming our children in this way. I mean, training them up to understand that in Jesus we have true spiritual rest. And resting in him actually involves this ongoing pattern of repentance and belief. So we teach them and we model it. Joshua chapter 24 was the passage that was uh, preached at my dad's memorial service, at least part of it. And... Um, it was one of his favorite passages, that's why it was preached. And, and the thing about it is um, his idea, one of his ideas of serving the Lord was basically to be very honest with us about when he made mistakes, 
when he sinned against us as kids, but then also to speak the promises of God to us very consistently every morning. We would, we would walk through the living room, you know, super groggy, and he'd be sitting there with his Bible verses that he was trying to memorize, and he would just be way too peppy for the hour. And, you know, he would blast us with something that he was working on. Sometimes it was kind of half-formed, half-memorized. He's like, hey, I'm working on so-and-such. And I think part of, if we want to be here for the long haul, blessing this community, it will be not only exhorting one another, but it will be being very intentional with our kids and modeling, not just teaching them intellectually about, but modeling repentance and belief. So City Church, I, my exhortation would be let's go out and let's bring rest to an exhausted city, to an exhausted world, and let's rest in Jesus as we do that. Let's enjoy that rest. Let's bring that rest to other people. Let's serve the Lord. Let's devote ourselves to the Lord, not through sheer determination and grit, but by adopting, embracing a lifestyle of repentance and belief. Amen. Every week at City Church, we celebrate the Lord's table, which in and of itself is an opportunity to rest in Jesus, by the way, to repent of our sin, to ask the Spirit to convict us, and then breathe in the promises of God, particularly the death and resurrection of Jesus and what that means for us. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was to be betrayed, shared a meal with his disciples, and during the meal, he took the bread and he broke it, and he said, this is my body given for you, broken for you. Do this whenever you eat of it in remembrance of me. And then in a similar manner, after the meal, Jesus took the cup. As he poured it, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink of it in remembrance of me. And Paul says, as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes again. Because he rose again, he ascended to the presence of the Father, and he is coming back. And all those considerations allow us to start resting now. If you're a follower of Jesus, come and participate in this meal. Come rest in Jesus this morning. If you're here and you aren't enjoying that rest, you're not on your way to the ultimate promised land in New Jerusalem, we would encourage you to reflect on what we've just been talking about and have a conversation with us this week. We urgently want to let you know to tell you about the rest that you have, that you can have in Christ Jesus. Instead of enjoying this meal that you're, you're uncertain of, just consider those things. Maybe make a note on your connection card and put it in the seat pocket. And we'd love to follow up or find me after the service. It's going to be an elder and a de- or a deacon on either side of this table serving the meal, uh, making two slight changes this week. Number one, after the elder elders and deacons finish their communion service, they're going to have an elder. Those people are going to go over there and over there for prayer. So if you want to pray with somebody immediately, after communion service, they'll stand off to the side, kind of near that door and then near that door. We're also making a slight adaptation, kind of halfway going back to our old way of doing communion. So this is sort of 50% back, is now instead of giving you communion packets, uh, we're going to have a bowl with some wafers that are gluten-free, by the way, and the elder or deacon is going to take it when you approach, when you line up and drop it into your hand. And then after you do that, there are going to be these um, cups of juice that are sitting right here. So they will drop a piece of bread into your hand, and you just simply take one of these cups, and then you can take communion right there or in your seat, however 
you want to do it. And if, you, if you're saying, you know what, I'm not ready for that yet uh, because of COVID or what have you, there are communion packets back on the hospitality table, so you're more than welcome to take those as well. At least they should be there. Um, so that's how it will work. I know change is difficult. I think very highly of you, and I think you can do it. So let me pray for us, and you can approach the table when you're ready. Lord, thank you for this meal in which we do remember the rest that we have in Christ. I pray that we would unload all of our burdens onto you, Lord, as we take this meal, and that in particular you would show us areas of sin, areas of idolatry that are like, keeping us from really um, enjoying you, all that you have for us. Lord, we thank you that you've given us this opportunity to, we think, pursue this building and buy it. I pray that we would be faithful to you as we journey forward. And once again, pray for the team of people that came up here this morning. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
you all would please stand with us.
first, I want to say uh, thank you to Kiffer for bringing us his word every month, every week. You know that October was a pastor's appreciation month, but we can spill over into November a little bit, okay? <laughs> so thank you for bringing God's word. And I always try to come up every week and say thank you to our music people. It's always really good, and we appreciate it. So I hear God's word. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's sing the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Go in peace. on stages and even love it when the crowd gets loud singing out God's praises but every now and then it can get a little complicated so I remember when I was in that old church basement singing hallelujah it's all I need when I think of your goodness your love for me. Oh, the joy of my salvation is coming back to me. It's just in Life is your design, you're with me till the end of time.
in the perfect story, turning ashes into beauty, turning songs of sorrow into songs of joy again. You're revealing your endless glory, leading us in the way of mercy, taking broken lives and Bleeding sacrifice, no Christ. How brutal it has been. That tragic guy. 